Okay. Four. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to Carolina Blitz's Zone, Two Shades of Blue. My name is Royal Howell. My co-host is Terrence Hatchett. And today we're going to give you a little rundown of the ACC and the NCAA tournament, which will be coming up soon, as well as a little rundown of the NFL playoffs with the Buccaneers heading to Lambeau Field at Face that bad man himself, Aaron Rodgers. And then we also have the Bills Mafia heading to Kansas City, Arrowhead to be exact, to face that bad man. Also, Pat Mahomes, the million-dollar man, the turf toe injury. We're going to get into all that coming up soon, but we're going to start off with a little ACC basketball, man. As you know, recently, um, Duke basketball has been struggling. Uh, Carolina basketball scenes have been turning the tide just a little bit. Virginia is still uh, heads and shapes above everybody in the league, of, as well as Florida State, even without um, the absence of Scotty Barnes, who returned recently. Um, just there's a top tier one, two, and three in the ACC basketball, where we have teams due to the COVID pandemic who have been struggling. Um, you can blame it on COVID. You can blame it on just not gelling chemistry, um, not having enough games. But um, when all is all and said is done, is just this year's college basketball landscape has been dramatically challenged due to the COVID pandemic. Terrence, let's get your thoughts, man. Yeah, man. Like the pandemic has definitely ravaged college basketball. Um, one thing I've noticed, the teams that are at the top of college basketball right now are veteran teams, teams that have been together, that have veteran presence, especially at the guard positions where, you know, the blue bloods, uh, Duke, UNC, Kansas, Kentucky have all struggled lately or at points this season, um, young guards. Um, really with those teams, like who's the dog? Like who is the dog on these teams? Um, like you said, Carolina has won five out of the last six. They've been able to turn it around as of late. But, you know, according to Joe Lenardi, they're still one of the last eight teams in the tournament. Duke is one of the first eight teams out of the tournament, not even the first four out there in that second group as of yesterday, and that was before they played and lost to Louisville, so that's not going to help their cause. Uh, Kentucky's struggling. Kansas is struggling. It's been a weird year in college basketball. Um, one thing about Duke and even UNC, because UNC, even though they won five out of the last six, they're not off the hook yet. There's really not a lot of quality wins left in the ACC. So wins aren't really going to help your cause, but losses can be damaging to your cause. So both teams still have a lot of work to do uh, down the stretch. And I'm going to give you the floor a second for what your thoughts about Duke struggles, and then I'll pick up on where UNC is. My opinion on Duke basketball, and I'm trying to keep this clean as possible. Um, I know we have an audience out here who doesn't want to hear, you know, me going off 24-7, but I'm going to just call it like I, you know, call it like it is. Um, this year's Duke basketball team, um, it's been a ton of struggles on both sides of the basketball some of that is due to, you know, having a bunch of freshmen, which in this day and age, the one and done error in college basketball, especially for the Blue, Blood, the Blue Bloods in Duke and Kentucky and UNC um, this year specifically, has completely um, been hit by the COVID pandemic. And when I say this, as far as Duke, um, Duke has no killer. Um, Duke doesn't play defense. Defense starts with a D. Duke starts with a D. Defense is completely missing from Duke basketball this season. Um, we have no killer. We have no leader. We have no floor general. 
you can say Gold Goldwire, Jordan Gorewire is a floor general. He's a defensive pest. I wouldn't ne- necessarily call him a offensive genius on the offensive end. Yeah, he could push the ball in tempo. He can get to the right guys in transition. He could find the open man. But last night, as you've seen against Louisville, the defense was strictly leaving him open, and he was shooting and bricking. He was trying to take good shots. They were good shots. He was wide open. No one was within 20 feet of him, but he was bricking. You have Matthew Hurt, who is a stretch forward, who's playing out of position, who is guarding centers on the poles and teams who are just way more physical and athletic than they are, you know, than he is. And he's being put in position to defend these guys where there's no way in hell he can guard them at all. And he got in foul trouble again yesterday where you saw that the last nine or eight minutes, Coach K was forced to go with a three-guard rotation, which featured Jeremy um, Stewart um, – I'm sorry, Jeremy Roach, DJ Stewart, and Jordan Gowire with uh, uh, Wendell Moore playing the four and um, Matthew Hurt playing the five position. And this is probably the biggest drop-off I've seen from any player in college basketball in recent memory than what we have seen from Wendell Moore, where there are times I don't even want to see him on the court because – he just doesn't give us anything offensively. He tries. He plays defense. He's an athletic wing. But as far as just mental mistakes, when you're not hitting a shot and you're putting your head down, when things are not going your way, when you're not playing defense, when you're not hustling, when you're, get, when you're getting beat back door for layups and getting not, you know, from downtown, from three, not guarding the perimeter, those are just brutal things that I hate seeing from Duke this year, as well as our depth. Coach K is no – um, you know, it's no mystery that when the games get tight, that bench gets even tighter. We'll go maybe five or six deep. In the tournament, you have to have a bench. You have to have a bench. We have players that have maybe logged three games played this entire season. We have the grad transfer from um, from Columbia and Patrick Tappe, who has played maybe three games this whole season. We have the seven-footer and Mark Williams, who I don't think has even played since the Illinois game. He's made play maybe a game or two him. since then. Yeah, but he's seven foot one. You can use that height, that a wingspan for something, especially on the defense and getting rebounds. That three-two matchup zone that we're playing against these teams have been completely abysmal, abysmal. Justin Champagne lit us up the other night for thirty and fifteen. Once again last night, there were times late in the game where it was a two-point, one-point game where Duke had the opportunity to you know, close the gap, make the necessary plays to get in the win column. And I know specifically a play around a three-minute mark where I can't believe – it might have been Carl Leak Jones or David Johnson who jacked up a shot. And Withers, between – amongst four Blue Devils, grabbed the rebound out of the 3-2 matchup zone, got his own shot, hit it, and came back down the court flexing. That's one thing that really ticks me off this year about Duke also is these guys, these teams are not scared of Duke. No, with not. fans or no fans, it doesn't matter, in my opinion, because if you have heart, you're going to play with it, no matter who you're playing against. You can't take anybody for granted. If anything, if you watch Duke this, it's like if you watch Duke basketball this year, we look like a bunch of choir boys on the court, man. That's just how that's how they look. Is I see no heart, no tenacity, no grit, no pit bull, no killer on the court. These are a bunch of boys that have just been spoon fed and privileged all their damn lives, and they're not bringing it on the court. It's earned, not given for Duke basketball, man. It's earned, not given. I have no hope and no faith in this team 
doing any kind of damage in the tournament, if we even make the tournament. Right now, Duke is 5-5, five and five, loser the last three. Our schedule doesn't get any easier coming up. And on top of that, I wouldn't even expect the NIT invite right now from Duke basketball because just flat out we're sorry, we're garbage, and I don't see any kind of heart or hustle on that floor. Loose balls, I think it might have been a tie game or Louisville was up by one last night, and the ball is right in front of Jalen Johnson's face. He literally just bends over and tries to grab it. And what does a Louisville player do? They dive on the floor. You go out and lose plays. Those are winning plays. When you dive on the floor, you're hustling. You're putting your heart and soul into the game. I don't get that kind of energy from this team at all whatsoever. And it's sad that we have a leader in Coach K who is an opposite reflection of what I've been seeing from these players. Coach K will give his heart and soul for this team, man. He is so protective over these players that it's, it's unreal. And I'm not getting that kind of vibe from these players at all because – when you have a coach that's willing to die and put his team, put his heart and soul on the line for you, you're supposed to be a reflection of your coach always for any kind of team that you're playing with, whether it's football, basketball, hockey, track, whatever the case may be. You're always supposed to be a reflection of your coach. When you're not giving any heart and soul and effort on the court, it's a big-time issue, man. And I'm just very, very disappointed in Duke right now. I don't expect us to make the tournament right now. The schedule doesn't get any easier. Yeah, it's still early in the season, but, hey, they're five and five right now, 10 games to the season, and there's no hope. I can't remember in the last 15 years where Duke has lost multiple games. I think it's been since 1995 where Duke started nine and six. Um, this is going down and quickly. Coach K said the other day during his press conference that it's not time to panic. It's time to panic, Duke basketball. It's time to panic, and it's time to panic right now. Yeah, I just want to say you made up a great point, Royal. Um Sometimes, you know, we've had teams, we, you and I have coached basketball. We've had teams where we connected with off the jump. They were a reflection of us on the court. And we had teams that we didn't really, we just couldn't find a way to connect with them for whatever reason. They just couldn't connect. This Duke team does not look like a Duke team. And I'm a Carolina fan. I don't like Duke, you know. But, you know, being objective, I know Duke very well and what a Duke team is supposed to be. And this isn't a Duke team. They're not tough. They don't defend. They don't have any leadership on the floor. And like you said, teams are flat out punking. They're not intimidated by Duke this year. And why should they? They have no enforcer, no leader, no dog. Um, yeah, man. And then I got their schedule. You know, they play Clemson on Saturday the 30th. You know, Clemson got beat by Florida State, but, you know, that's still a tough game. Miami, uh, UNC, Notre Dame, at State, at Wake, Virginia, Syracuse, Louisville, at Georgia Tech, at UNC. As far as making a tournament, there's a really only one, a couple of games left on the schedule that you could say would be quality wins that really help their cause. Duke might have to win the ACC tournament to get in the NCAA tournament. Which, who would have ever thought mentioning Duke basketball and must winning the ACC tournament to get into the big dance? Yeah, it's man. an anomaly, man. I mean, it's I can't remember in recent memory where Duke had to win the ACC tournament to get into the big dance. It's just I'm I'm disappointed in this team, and it's just it's so many flaws. You can't just choose one area about Duke this year and say, hey, this has to be fixed in order for Duke to succeed. The point guard position, the guard position in general, the stop penetration to the lane, the rebounding, the guarding the three point line. There's issues all over the place. We're running a three two matchup zone to disguise our defensive deficiencies. It's point blank period. We can't guard anybody, man. It's, it's like it's sad. It's sad. I know these players are young. They were, you know, McDonald's, you know, McDonald's All Americans, five star recruits. Throw all that out the window when you get into college basketball because 
we don't care about you – no, know, these teams don't care about your ranking, where you go to school at, how many stars you got. Like, they don't care about none of that. At the end of the day, they wipe their ass just like you do. Their blood's red just like yours. They don't care about who you you know who you play for and where did you go, where you coming from, what kind of upbringing you came from. Yeah, they wipe man. their ass just like you do. So, you know, play like it. Bring it, man. Bring it day in, day out. No plays off. Have that hustler's mentality, that dog mentality. You got to bring it, man. You got to bring it. I'm not seeing that from Duke basketball this year, man. And I, I'm a diehard Duke fan. I cover the team. As you know, I cover other teams also. I try to keep the biases and, you know, my personal feelings and thoughts, you know, aside. But right now, right here and there, you know, today, as we speak, Sunday, Duke is not a NCAA tournament team. Also, Duke is not an NIT team mm. at all. I would put Duke maybe in a MEAC, and damn, they, they'll get they'll get their money's worth in the MEAC. It's sad, man. And I'm caught like it is. You put Duke in the MEAC or the Big South, some of these schools where they got nothing but dogs and hustlers that's going to sit there and grind every possession. They don't care about who you play for, what you've done, what you have done. You know, what have you done for me lately? They don't care about none of that stuff at all whatsoever, man. These boys are some dogs, man. And Duke, I'm not seeing that from this team this year at all. Yeah. At all. And another thing, one thing, um, I was watching the Kentucky LSU game right after the Duke game. I think it was Jimmy Dykes, a uh, commentator for ESPN. He stated that the reason why some of these teams are struggling, you know, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, you can even say UNC, even though they've turned it around. Who are the pros on this team? I mean, for Duke, uh, Jalen Johnson might be the only pro. I don't really see anybody on Kentucky right now that's NBA ready. Uh, Kansas, I don't really see anybody on that roster that's NBA ready. UNC, uh, I mean, some of the mock drafts I've seen, they got Daron Sharp as a second round pick right now. But, you know, these are the blue blood programs of college basketball. And I don't really see any pros as of today on these teams, except for one or two guys. Um, so it's going to be real interesting. Now to switch to North Carolina, North Carolina is one of the last six teams in. They beat NC State, um, they beat Wake Forest this week. They won five out of six, but they started the season five and four. And I'm gonna pull up their schedule real quick. We UNC has Pitt on Tuesday, tough game. Then they play at Clemson on the second, at Duke, Miami, at Virginia, Virginia Tech, Louisville, at Boston College. They play Florida State again with Scotty Barnes this time, at Syracuse and Duke. That's not really an easy schedule, to, you know, to finish the season either. And like I said, there's really not a lot of quality wins left. I mean, Virginia, May Virginia Tech, Florida State might be ranked after this week. We'll see when the rankings come out. There's really not a lot of quality wins, but losses will hurt you. UNC is still not off the hook yet, even though they won five in the last six. This is a team that could still miss the NCAA tournament as well if they go on a bad stretch. They have to keep winning games. Um, Return of Anthony Harris, I think, has been a huge spark. If there's one thing about we just talk about dog mentality. Anthony Harris is a dog. He's come off two ACL surgeries and is still out there. Was able to come back, and he just brings a different energy to UNC. Caleb Love has played better lately. Uh, we saw RJ Davis play well yesterday. Uh, Armando Baycott's been on a tear lately. Um, Dayron Sharp, solid most of the season. I think um, UNC. I think they will make the tournament. It's going to be close. They don't have a lot of wiggle room as of today, but they're trending in the right direction. Um, and we see with Roy Williams teams, sometimes they start the year off slow and fans get in an uproar and they panic. But usually by February, they start trending upwards. And I think this team is trending upwards. 
but they can't afford any more bad losses, man. They don't have a lot of room for error. Um, it's just a real weird year in college basketball, man. Like the Blue Bloods are struggling. Uh, Kansas has lost three in a row. Kentucky's five and nine. Um, you know, the teams that are you would expect to be contenders aren't really looking like contenders. And um, that leads into our next segment. Uh, Roy, you want to tell the listeners what we're about to do? Yes, sir. So we're going to play a game. It's uh, contenders and pretenders. So basically, I'm going to name a team to Terrence, and he's going to let me know if he thinks they're a viable threat to cut down the nets in April, or if they're a pretender, they're not going to even make the tournament. They're just, you know, putting up for show, basically. They have no chance of doing any kind of damage in the tournament if they even make it. So to start it off, um, we have two hot teams in America that have been getting a bunch of praise from our media outlets, ESPN specifically, and Gonzaga and Baylor. I'm going to start with Gonzaga. Um, are you going to take Gonzaga as a contender or pretender? I'm going to take him as a contender. Um, you know, some people be like, oh, Gonzaga's never broke through. Um, you know, they were a Final Four team in 2017. They lost to Carolina in a tight championship game, came down to the last minute. We were just able to make more plays than they did down the stretch. Um, this is a veteran team. They have the coaching, and they have a guy that's a top five pick in Jalen Suggs. Reminds me of Jason Kidd. Absolutely. Um, and he's a point guard. And we know that college basketball, you got to have the coaching and you got to have the guard play to make it far in the tournament. Gonzaga has both. I think they're a contender. Um, this might be the year Mark Few cuts down the nets. They were on pace to uh, be a team that get to the Final Four last year. But, you know, COVID kind of threw that for a loop. I think they're hungry. Then they have the pro at the guard position. So Gonzaga's contender. Um, let's go with Iowa, who played your Tar Heels earlier in the season, who shot, you know, remarkable from downtown. They probably would have beat the Lakers that night shooting from downtown. Is Iowa a pretender or contender in your opinion? To cut down the nets, I'm going to say pretender. Um, they have a good coach. Uh, McCaffrey's a good coach. He's a coach at UNCG. Um, you know, they have Luka Garza in the paint. My thing about Iowa is their guard play. And if, they, if they're not hitting shots and team a physical team that can throw bodies at Luka Garza can slow them down, who's that guard that can create offense for them? Um, you know, they played Gonzaga early in the year, and Gonzaga was able to pretty much control that game. Uh, they were able to get out to a big lead, and you know, Iowa tried to make a comeback, but it was too late. And the reason why I feel like that Gonzaga was better than Iowa that day was guard play. Uh, Jalen Suggs, for example, I don't see anybody on Iowa with that type of talent at the guard position. And I think a team with some good guard play that has the able bodies can beat Iowa in a one-game scenario the NCAA tournament is not a best of seven it's one game uh if a team's off you know where they're gonna get the offense from so I'm gonna say pretender um, we're gonna go with the Michigan Wolverines who started this season you know not much talk about them but um they have a remarkable I believe freshman and Hunter Dickerson who was also I think recruited by UNC who yep. um he is you know arguably playing you know big 10 player of the year basketball right now um pretender or contender for Michigan I'm going to go out of limb and say contender. One, Michigan's always been a team that's very dangerous in the tournament. Um, they have veterans. Um, like I said, they have Hunter Dickinson. Jawan Howard uh, is coaching the pros. He's very well respected in the NBA ranks. He's doing a great job at Michigan so far. He's done a good job of recruiting. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say contender. All right, and last but not least, 
your own Carolina Tar Heels? I'm going to say, I hate to do it, but I'm going to say pretender as far as getting to a Final Four. Um, There's times where UNC's offense just looks really bad, man. Um, We turn the ball over a lot. Um, Freshman guards, we have six freshmen on the team total and a sophomore in Baycott. Um, At times, we just really struggle to score the basketball. Um, One thing I've noticed about this UNC team and the reason why I think they struggle is they need a stretch four or a three that can really space the floor. The floor spacing at times is atrocious, man. Uh, it was a game earlier this year. I think they were playing Stanford at Texas where I literally seen five guys on the same side of the court. Then I saw five Texas defenders or Stanford defenders, whatever game it was, where every defender was inside the three-point line. Teams don't respect our shooting. Uh, putting Kerwin in has helped that. I still think we need another shooter to get far in the tournament because um, teams are really going to pack the paint and dare to shoot over the top. And we got to control our, our turnovers a little bit better. And Caleb and RJ have been playing better lately. But, yeah, I just don't see us getting to a Final Four. Maybe the Sweet 16, maybe. But this is a team that can get bounced also in the first round. And, you know, Carolina is really hard to predict. Um, there are times where we look good. And there's times where our offenses looks like it's something from the mid 2000s, man. Like it's bad sometimes. Like you just don't know what you're going to get with this team at times. And I'm going to say pretender. I will add this to Carolina. And, you know, I'm a Duke fan. I'll admit that, but I'm going to be unbiased about this. I think the thing with Carolina, I definitely agree with your point on um, spacing the floor, specifically who is your other shooting shooter outside of Curran Walton. Um, he's tremendously when shooting the ball. I think his, um, something that's detrimental to UNC is his defense. When he's playing defense, he's a liability on the defensive end. Um, yeah. But to make up for that, to make up for his defense a lackness, um, you have Leaky Black, who is arguably um, ACC Defensive Player of the Year when it comes to him locking down um, an opposing team's best player. Um, you have bigs in the paint, multiple bigs who can give you 15 and 10, and Baycott, Darren Sharp, Brooks. Um, you have bigs in the, in the paint. Uh, I think Carolina's top three in country in offensive rebounds. Yep. The last time they were top three in offensive rebounds, they won a national championship. So um, you have that type of production in the paint. You have guards who are coming into their own. And, and getting the addition of Anthony Harris back into the rotation is paramount. Um, you have Caleb Love, who as of lately, he's playing with that type of swagger, that type of sense where, hey, I'm a floor general. I'm playing for UNC. I was a, you know, pre- preseason lottery pick in some people's mock boards for the NBA draft. And he's mm-hmm. playing like it right now, man. I mean, the kid has that swagger about him. He has that it factor. He's playing with heart and soul in the court. And he's taking, you know, he's taking the opposing team's best shot and giving it right back to him. You watch the game against NC State where Devin Daniels, who's been giving everybody buckets this season, almost seems like um, they were going back and forth with it. And even yesterday during the press conference, um, Caleb even said, this was a statement game. I wanted to make sure when this for coach, um, they were yapping. I was like yapping back at them. I wanted to make sure that we got that get back on. Like that was his word. So I think that um, UNC has the pieces. Um, they're gelling. They're, they always tend to get better towards March. If you watch a UNC team, like you mentioned earlier, they may start the season off slow with a couple losses, but as the season progresses and one thing UNC does, Roe Williams specifically, he plays his bitch. UNC can go about nine or 10 deep. Always, so you want to, yeah. you know, always. And, you know, towards the tournament, he'll still keep that, in progress where he's playing his bench, he has bigs and he has go-getters that want to win basketball games. Whether it's 
a one-point game or a two-point game, you're winning the game. That's all that matters. It's the opposite of what Duke's doing right now, where we can't close games. UNC is finding a way to close games, yep. and they're getting better towards March. That's yep. a recipe for, at least in my opinion, for this year's team at Sweet 16. Yeah, one I think you can always make – oh, good, I'm sorry. My fault. I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, I think, good. I think Sweet 16 is their ceiling as of today. I said we'll see in about another four weeks when we get closer to March where this team is, and we can come back uh, to this, uh, you know, this contender pretender after the next couple of weeks. Um, you make a great point. Um, this team is training in the right direction. So this will, we can come back to this um, in a couple of weeks and see where they are. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get into the next segment, ladies and gentlemen. Um, our last segment today is going to be the NFL playoffs, AFC championship game of the day and the NFC championship game today. We have some um, big time players. Uh, we have four Black offensive coordinators in the final four of the AFC and NFC championship game. I think that's maybe a first time that's happened ever in the history of football. Um, that's a topic for a different day. Um, but we're going to get in right into it where we have the, I believe, what's the AFC championship game first? NFC. Or the NFC. NFC championship yeah. game first between the Bucks and the Packers. Um, earlier this season, we know um, the Packers got slapped down in Tampa. I think the final score was like 38 to 10. Yeah, um, and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers made it a point that um, he wants to get his get back on them at home in Lambeau Field, which he gets his wish granted today when they tip off in about a couple hours. Uh, Terrence, give me your thoughts. Yeah, um, you know, I don't think Green Bay's forgotten the shellacking, the ass whooping, whatever you want to call it, they took in uh, Tampa early in the season. Um, the key to this game is going to be who controls a lot of scrimmage and who can be able to run the ball. Um, it's going to be cold. We know how it is in Lambeau at this time of year. Um, how the cold weather will affect Tom Brady at his age, we'll uh, wait and see. Um, you know, he is 43 years old, but he still has some good arm strength left. And he didn't look that great last week versus the Saints. But, you know, Tom Brady, big game. I won't count him out. Um, really, it's going to come down, to my opinion, who needs this game more? I think Aaron Rodgers needs this game more than Tom Brady. Tom Brady has six rings. His uh, resume, his legacy is already solidified. For Aaron Rodgers, this could be huge for his legacy to not only beat Tom Brady to go to his second Super Bowl, but Aaron Rodgers is one in three in NFC Championship games now. We can say that um, he's always had inferior teams against uh, you know San Francisco last year, even though Green Bay was 13-3, and three, nobody really thought that they were going to beat the 49ers. Um, the year they played the Falcons in the uh, Georgia Dome, the last game in the old Georgia Dome, nobody really gave them a chance uh, versus the Falcons team. Uh, the Seattle game, they were up. Uh, you know, the special teams blunder cost them that game. Green Bay is the favorites today. So the pressure is on Green Bay and on Aaron Rodgers to come through. Um, I think Green Bay knows that. I think they're going to control the line of scrimmage uh, today. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to throw two straight interceptions and back-to-back plays today. Um, I think Green Bay is going to be playing in Tampa in two weeks. Um, as far as the AFC, until somebody knocks off Pat Mahomes, I can't pick against him. If he's, if he's out there, he may not be 100%, but I just can't pick against Pat Mahomes until somebody knocks them off and um, – I think it's going to be close, though. I think Buffalo's going to be game. They're going to be well-coached. They're going to be prepared. Um, they're not going to be intimidated. But, like you said, you got to – until somebody knocks off Pat Mahomes, 
I'm not picking against them. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, for the first game, I think I definitely agree with you on the battle of the trenches. Um, you know, Green Bay has had one of the, if not best, offensive lines in all of football this year, which was an issue last year and was a um, factor in the Packers not, you know, advancing to the Super Bowl was their offensive line. Um, they're healthy, which is huge. Um, but we also know the Bucks' defense line has been crazy this year, especially that NFC South. I believe they've been – arguably one of the best defenses and not just the NFC South, but the NFC in general, um, they have a nice secondary. Um, I will say this, though, I think the key here will be not only the weather, because people are bringing up the weather factor. You got to remember Tom Brady's played in new England for his whole career. Yeah. So playing in the snow, if it's snow and sleet rain, it doesn't matter. Tom Brady has dealt with all those type of weather elements. That's going to have any type of factor in this game at all. It might have a factor towards the other players playing these type of, type of conditions, but um, I think missing Antonio Brown this game um, due to a knee injury is yeah, it will be, be huge. That's going to be huge a lot just due to the fact that now you have to rely more on Godwin, who is a great receiver. Um, he drops the ball sometimes, in my opinion. Um, can you get some type of consistency from Gronk and Brady? And then Mike Evans, who's arguably a top five wide receiver in the league, um, can he create separation? I think this is going to be a nice scoring game. I'll say like maybe a 30-28 last second field goal for the Packers. But this game can go any kind of way because Brady wants to show everyone that he's not part of the Belichick system. He can do this by himself. He's already proved plenty of people wrong by able to put the Bucks in this type of position, I believe, since, what, 2002, I believe, since yeah. last time they even appeared. So um, he's put he's brought this team back to relevance, you know, and – Right now, he's one game away from the Super Bowl. It speaks for itself. In regards to the the Chiefs and the Bills, um, we know Pat Mahomes has recovered from a concussion. We also learned recently that Pat Mahomes was dealing with a turf toe, which if you watched the last game, you saw him hobbling, um, you know, doing certain plays, depending on if he was scrambling to the left or right. Uh, I think specifically the left side when he scrambled, um, you could see him limping on and off the field um, before the concussion. Um, he has some type of injury going on with his foot, and it was revealed recently that he has been playing with his hurt too. So um, I think his health in this game will be huge. Um, but also, I'll tell you this, um, the Chiefs secondary have to watch out because Stephon Diggs, the type of production we've seen from him this year, yes. where he broke re receiving yards and catches for a Bills receiver, um, single-season franchise records, he broke, broke of them this year. Um, so that just shows that him getting out of that situation in Minnesota with no type of QB consistency – um, just showing that he elevated his game to another level. We have Josh Allen this year, who last year a lot of people were saying that he's not a pocket passer, he's too inaccurate. He's proved all those haters wrong this year. He was definitely an MVP candidate in my eyes. Yeah, he um, definitely was. The, the guy's a dual threat quarterback. He can extend plays, and that's where I think he's most dangerous. He reminds me a lot of Big Ben when Big Ben was younger, where he can extend the plays, and he's always keeping his eyes downfield on that receiver. So if he's able to um, maintain possession and keep that bad man, Pat Mahomes off the field. The Bills are playing with house money. They have nothing to lose. I believe the Chiefs are favorites, I think, about, what, three points this game? It's going to be very interesting to see. I'm not saying that the Bills are going to win because I still think the Chiefs are going to win when it's all said and done. Um, but this game can get very, very interesting. If the Bills keep it close, keep Pat Mahomes off the field, and control the clock, those would be keys for a Bills victory. I like the Chiefs, I'll say, 35 27 Chiefs. Yeah. I think it's going to be close, like you said, and, and you brought up a great point. Um, has there been a trade or um, that's impacted the NFL more than Stephon Diggs going to Buffalo? I mean, look what he did for Josh Allen, that offense. 
Um, that was a great job by Brandon Bean, former Panthers assistant GM, uh, Sean McDermott, former Panthers D coordinator. You, you can kind of get it. You can kind of see where I'm getting at with the Buffalo Bills. They have a lot of former Panthers that are doing well. But I know I'm happy for those guys. Uh, hopefully the Panthers team down here in Charlotte can eventually get back to that level because the Panthers North, as people call them, you know, they've, they've had a great year. Um, yeah. Can they get to Tampa Bay? We'll find out in about six, seven hours. So, Absolutely. Have a little bit of time. We have about five minutes left. So um, real quick note. Um, hold on, let me pull it up on my tablet real quick. Talk some Hornets real quick for this last quick segment. Give me one second. This is going to be huge because I know you and Vashtai, who is our um, CEO of Carolina Blitz, um, both had a discussion recently where you said that uh, I think you both were in agreement that LaMelo Ball um, is arguably the hottest ticket in town, the biggest face, biggest face in all of Charlotte sports right now in North Carolina. And I think you all say that he can be, you know, probably bigger than Cam Newton, which I think that uh, when his contract's up, depending on how well – the Hornets have got in regards to making playoffs is going to determine if he's going to stay in Charlotte or not. Because right now, I don't see him staying in Charlotte. That's just that's just my opinion. I, I don't see it happening. It would have, and I hate to do that just early in the season, but it's just been too much back and forth between the media. You hearing his pops come out and be more vocal now. Yeah. Who the bar is no stranger to publicity and yeah. stating how he feels. He's going to tell you how he feels, and I think his pops, like he said, he said, my son's not going to tell you how he really feels. He's going to be nice. He's a nice guy. He, and, and, you know, Melo looks like a nice guy. But yeah. I think that he's you – know, if you don't start giving that man more playing time, it's going to be not just an issue. I think rule number one is going to be getting Brago out of town. I think Jordan will do everything he can to keep Melo in a Hornets uniform. So, yeah. and you know rule what? number one will be getting Brago out of the town. Melo ball is good for business. The Hornets have not gotten this much recognition nationally from national media in years. Um, speaking of, so here's the quote. I'm sorry, it took me a while to pull it up on my tablet, but you know, this is in a response to what LeVar Ball had to say. Um, this was asked by Rick Bunnell, the Charlotte Observer. He's um, this was James Borrego replying to the question about LaMelo Ball only playing 16 minutes in the last game. If you're turning the ball over five times in 16 minutes, that ain't gonna cut it for me. If you're doing that in the offensive end, you better bring something defensively, which is crazy to me because LaMelo Ball actually is not that bad of a defender. He plays the passing lanes very well. He helps. He rebounds very well. So I'm not getting what he's trying to say if you're not bringing anything defensively. He's a point guard. You're going to turn the ball over, especially when you're a creator. As much offense as LaMelo creates, there are going to be times where you turn the ball over. Two or three of those turnovers were of Cody Zeller, who just came back in his first game uh, the other night. And it seemed like their timing was just a little bit off with uh, LaMelo and Cody. They'll get right. But here's the thing. This is a 19-year-old kid. You only played him two minutes in the second half. You got to allow teams, um, you know, especially a team like Charlotte where you can argue if we're in a rebuild or not. This is a team that's still in the rebuild, in my opinion, even though you bring in Gordon Hayward. You don't bench a guy the whole second half after only two minutes when he could help the team. I mean, LaMelo is one of the leaders on this team in total points added which means points you bring offensively and points you save defensively. He's at the top of the team in that category. Um, he's one of the best shot creators we have for creating offense for other people. Yeah, he 
he had a bad game. He turned the ball over five times. We get that. Nobody's not saying that. But how can you sit there and play your number three pick 17 minutes and then play one of the Martin twins 19 minutes who – and people on the Hornets Facebook page talking about, well, he hustles. I, you know, I asked a question in the group. How, why can you justify a Martin twin playing more minutes than your number three overall pick? And all people could come at me was hustle. That that proves my point right there. That proves my point right there. He's the number three pick. He's the star of the team. He's good for business. And James Borrego needs to handle this situation with Melo and Lavar. Um, he needs to get a grasp of the situation and handle it the right way. Or he might not be here much longer because trust and believe when it's time to re-up the contract, if Michael Jordan, Mitch Kupchak had to choose between LaMelo Ball and James Borrego, they're going to choose Bob to over the coach every time. The, the player is always going to get chosen over the coach every single time. Every right? time. This is the NBA. It's a star-driven league. Stars drive the league. Players drive the league. Coaches don't drive the NBA. They just don't. In college basketball, yes. NBA, No. So James Borrego um, needs to – I wish he had kept that to himself. Yeah, because it comes off from the outside looking in as if he's throwing a player under the bus due to the production of the team because just a couple weeks ago their opponents were tied six in the East. Now I believe they're 13th. Losers are what – is it five straight, I believe? I believe so. I I can't think about the top of my head, but, you know, they did win three games in a row, and now they're on a losing streak. And um, they play Orlando tonight – in the back to back, back to back. So this is a game that you have to win if you're trying to make that the postseason. Um, is this a playoff team? I don't think the Hornets are going to make the playoffs because um, we don't have an interior presence. So if we're not going to make the playoffs. You got to develop your number three overall pick and give them opportunities to play through mistakes. That's one thing the Hornets, with their player development in recent years, they yank guys pretty quickly and don't let them play through mistakes because they're trying to make the playoffs. Fine, I get it. But this is the number three overall pick, and this is a future star of your team. You've got to play him more than two minutes in the second half. And um, we'll see what happens with the Hornets tonight and moving forward with this situation. Debbie's something to monitor. So we got time to talk about Deshaun Watson or we out of time today? Because uh, I'll love to get your input on this because I've been hearing some crazy, crazy talk from Panther fans on Twitter, man. And this is, if not, we'll get it definitely next episode. We, we can do, we'll do three minutes. Three minutes. Okay. All right, if you're the Panthers GM, because Panthers, they want to give up CMC, who I think is arguably the best running back in football. I don't believe you should give him away. But I think in order to get Deshaun Watson from the Texans, you have to at least give up three first-round picks, arguably a second-round pick, and CMC to get Deshaun Watson, which I think will be a lot to give up for him. But this is a quarterback-driven lead. Um, The Panthers are lacking in that position drastically um, besides offensive line. I think in order to get Deshaun Watson and Charlotte, you have to give up three first-round picks. I believe Fast Shot said two. You're not touching Deshaun Watson if you're just giving up two first-round picks. It's not happening. Hell no, it's not happening. You still you want to give up two first-round picks, a second-round pick, and Mr. Checkdown Teddy B? It's not happening. You got to give up three first-round picks to get Deshaun Watson. Yeah, it may be a lot, but you're getting the top five quarterback in return. Quarterback position is lack in Charlotte. You gave up, I believe, $63 million to um, Teddy yeah. B. Um, you overpaid for him, actually, but that was his market value at the time due to him being a five and no starter for the Saints. Terrence, give me your opinion, man. What do you think about the potential well, trade? If, if we have to give up Christian McCaffrey to get um, Deshaun Watson, so be it. 
you know, you can find running backs, you know, but top five quarterbacks, top seven, whatever you have Deshaun Watson ranked, you don't find those often. And you have to do whatever you can to get a player like that because you got to think about it. Drew Brees is retiring. Tom Brady doesn't have many more years left, and we don't know what Atlanta's going to be. You get Deshaun Watson, you can control the South for the next five, six years. If you know, we still have talent. You know, we give up a couple of first round picks and McCaffrey. We can find running backs, you know, second, third round of the draft. We still have DJ Moore, uh, Robbie Anderson. We got to continue to build our offensive lineup. But you get Deshaun Watson, we could win the NFC South. If not next year, then definitely the year after, whenever Tom Brady leaves Tampa, the South will be ours. And um, you got to do whatever you can to bring a guy like that to Charlotte. So hopefully we'll see if the new GM can get it done. All right. That sounds like a plan, man. That sounds like a plan. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for watching and catching in our show today. The Two Shades of Blue podcast will premiere on Monday mornings. Um, just, you know, follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Um, my Twitter is True Blue 1824. Uh, Terrence, tell the people your uh, Twitter handle, man. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, T underscore Hatch. That's H-A-T-C-H 8-9. Um, like you said, check us out Monday mornings. This will be up um, every Monday. You know, we're going to bring some sports. We'll definitely start bringing some culture, you know, some more music drops. Uh, waiting on that Drake album to drop so we can give our opinions on that. Uh, we'll definitely talk some boxing, basketball, the culture uh, and we thank uh, everybody that has listened and uh, we appreciate y'all support so absolutely absolutely thank y'all man appreciate it see y'all next week yes sir